Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my brand new co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein. As you may have seen on Twitter, my longtime co-host, John Brennan, is no longer with our company, so the podcast took a week off and now returns, rebooted. I can't say enough kind words about John. We had a great time podcasting together. He's one of the finest reporters in this industry. I will not miss John's difficulty in logging on to Skype or Zoom, uh, nor his tendency to label almost every losing bet as a bad beat, but I'll miss pretty much everything else. Um, it, it was a tremendous ride, but uh, I now turn my attention to the future, and the future is Jeff Edelstein. Uh, Jeff, you've appeared on the pod as a guest several times, but now that you have the co-host gig, it's only right that you tell the people a little about yourself. Uh, likes, dislikes, turn-ons, turn-offs funny stories about celebrities your father resembles, etc. cetera. Uh, what do the people need to know about you? Well, yeah. So I guess uh, when it comes to likes and turn-ons, I think it pretty much begins and ends with Kim Kardashian. Uh, my wife, mm. she knows this. This is this is a known quantity. Uh, you know, so it's, it's one of those things that, you know, should the opportunity present itself, uh, it's good. It ha- today happens to be my birthday, so oh. I'm kind of holding out hope that, uh, you know, my wife has come through with the with a little Kim for me. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm an open book. I'm on Twitter. You see, you know, I'm out there. Yeah, I, what do I like doing? I like playing DFS mostly. Uh, it, it, you know, sometimes uh, my job interferes with my professional gambling career, but such is life. Um, and my dad is a dead ringer for Larry David, as, yes. as you alluded to there. Um, like a dead ringer. His name's Larry on top of it. I can't tell you how many times he's been stopped in the street. I can't tell you how many times I've been stopped in the street at people asking me if it's okay if they go over to say hello, to which I say, sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's a good thing you don't look anything like Jeff Garland, or this this could get uh, doubly weird, I suppose, with uh, audience interactions. Very true, very true. <laughs> uh, well, happy birthday. I had no idea oh, you. you were uh, debuting on your birthday. And uh, with regard to Kim Kardashian, I never quite got it. She's, she's a little little too much for me in, in, in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not I'm not too keen necessarily on like the personality. I don't know her, so I can't really judge. But I am keen on some other facets of her, uh, you know, <laughs> over, over, you know, well, yes, let's just leave it there. We, I think we all know what facets you're talking about. <laughs> they were the same facets I was alluding to being too much for me, perhaps. But uh, yes. to each their own. Um, my, my only hesitation in handing you the co-host gig mm-hmm. was a mild concern that the podcast might get too Jewish. Um, then like, there's almost no chance Kyrie Irving is subscribing to us now, but, uh, or that, Kanye for that matter. So he right, won't even right. hear my, you know, my desires on his ex-wife. Right, that's true. You're safe on that front, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, that aside, if, if listeners can put up with a lack of diversity, uh, I think they're going to like this pairing and, and hopefully gamble on doesn't miss a beat. Excellent. I'm ready. All right. Well, as we kick off Gamble On 2.0, a thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 215 of the podcast. If you missed any of our previous 214 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe. 
give us a five-star rating, and in honor of Jeff's dad, write a review that tells us we're pretty, pretty, pretty good. Uh, I think he could have used two more pretties, but other than that, <laughs> excellent. Listen, we have a very cool guest coming up later, uh, the CEO of a company called Future Anthem, a gentleman by the name of Lee Nissum. Uh, Lee's company uh, is really on the cutting edge of artificial intelligence in the online gambling sector. And, you know, what he's seeking to do, based on a little interview that we did with him, is to make the uh, online gaming experience even more fun uh, for the user. And in the end, I'm sure, make things a little bit more profitable for the operator. So a true win-win situation. But before we get to Lee, uh, if you'll allow me a pun on my first day here, Eric. Sure. It's been a bit of a, uh, shall we say, rosy week in the world of gambling. So why don't we hit the news, huh? Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. We open the news segment this week with a story that 2017 me definitely would have thought was a headline from The Onion, uh, but... Here we are in 2022. Legal sports betting is coming to Ohio on January 1st, and you're about to find out why Jeff threw the word Rosie in there. It has been announced that Pete freaking Rose is placing the first bet at Hard Rock Cincinnati. Uh, Rose, of course, has been banned from baseball for more than 30 years for betting on games while he was the manager of the Reds. And although MLB has done a 180 on sports betting the last few years, it hasn't changed its position on Rose. But he figures he has nothing to lose and is leaning into his association with sports betting. We had him on Gamble On about a year and a half ago when he was getting into touting. And now he's lined up to make a legal bet extremely publicly at Hard Rock Cincinnati's new 10,000 square foot sports book once it strikes midnight at the casino's New Year's Eve party. Jeff, your thoughts on how weird or not weird this development is and in general, Got a take on MLB embracing sports betting, but still not embracing Pete Rose? Listen, murderers and rapists, like, have had, like, a better, like, you know, second round at life than Pete Rose had <laughs> when it comes to, like, you know, the way MLB is treating them. Um, I don't think it's weird at all. I think Pete Rose, I mean, he's beloved in Ohio. Beloved, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that it's weird at all. I think it's great that he's, like, you know, making the most of you know, I, yeah, lean into it, Pete. Like, of course, lean into it. I mean, you know, make the most of this, especially, especially, especially the way, you know, the world of sports gambling has gone the last few years post-PASPA. Obviously, Major League Baseball and with all the other leagues are going whole hog into it. And yes, Pete Rose bet on some games. And yes, you know, he bet on his own team to win. You know, you know, we we know this. You can't do it. If it happened today, he'd be suspended for a year, right? right. But like Calvin Ridley did that, right? He uh -huh. did pretty much the same thing as Pete Rose and he was suspended by the NFL for a year, and he theoretically should be reinstated next year, and he will get on with his career. And if he, you know, and go back even further, right? Uh, Alex Karras, Bennett, Paul Horning, right, 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 right. They, they, they got, you know, they were fine. So I, the, the fact that the Major League Baseball still turned its nose up at Pete Rose, a guy who, you know, I mean, I don't know the guy, but I mean, you know, based on like everything you read and see about him, nobody loved the game more than Pete Rose, you know, right. It's absurd. And, you know, as far as the Hall of Fame goes, you know, the Hall of Fame is a museum, right? And to, to not have Pete Rose as part of that is ridiculous, and as well as Bonds and McGuire and the whole, you know, steroid gang. You know, I, I, I think it's it's silly and, and foolish and at this point just, I mean, dumb for Major League Baseball to not, like, you know, open the books on Pete and, 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 and make things right. 
Yeah. So on that last point about the Hall of Fame and the museum, I was actually in Cooperstown over the summer with my son. Um, and I can't tell you how ridiculous it is to walk through that big room with all the plaques and you're going year by year through all the inductees. And there's no Pete Rose, no Roger Clemens, no Barry Bonds. But, oh, look, there's Harold Baines and Burt Blylevin and Lee Smith and, and countless other players whose entire careers I watched and they made no impression on me. And my son, who's who's gotten pretty into the history of the game, is like, who's that guy? Never heard of him. Um, you know, I guess there's not a lot MLB can do about Bonds and Clemens at this point. I, that's on the voters and eventually the older, more stubborn ones will be gone. And, and, and those guys will get in, I presume, but MLB could snap its fingers and make Pete Rose eligible for the hall of fame. I, it's not the most important thing in the world in the big picture, but it's just so stupid. And it's just so stupid. Yeah. And, and <laughs> what would you say? I, I would say it's become about 10% stupider since MLB started making money off legal sports betting as a, uh, I mean, I think we could bump that to like 90 to 8%. Stupider, right? <laughs> okay. It has almost doubled in stupidity, huh? Right. And, and the, you know, the hall of fame is not associated with MLB, right? It's its own thing. And for them to like turn its nose up at Pete Rose, let's say even if he did, let's say even if he bet against his team, Let's say he did the worst things that you right. could do when it comes to this. I mean, World War II museums in America still have, like, Nazi stuff in it. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. It's, it's still is... part of the history of the game. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah. It's absurd. I guess I would push back a little bit on the sort of uh, the, the thought that what Calvin Ridley did is is equal to what Pete Rose did. Calvin Ridley's is a little more innocent in that he was, he was uh, not active at that point in the season. And... The betting he did was legal, at least. This wasn't right. quite like underground with a bookie how, like Pete Rose was doing it. So I'd say it's not quite apples to apples, but nevertheless, it does show you, you know. It's still fruit, man. It's all fruit. <laughs> it's all fruit, yeah. Um, I, I will say just Pete Rose placing this first bet, um, I think it's good for the industry in terms of just the mainstream attention to the Ohio launch that's coming up. Um Ohio is going to be a really interesting state, uh, a, a bit of a cluster in terms of the sheer number of operators and in-person venues that are going to be taking bets there. Um, certainly a, a state where uh, a bunch of operators are going to launch and the big names will do reasonably well, like they always do. And you can expect a, a few of the smaller ones to fold inside a couple of years, I think, as they've started doing in, in New Jersey and other states, because there's just yeah. so many entering in Ohio. Yeah. Uh, I think Ohio, you know, I, it's going to be, you're right. It is going to be interesting. Cause I, you know, they've definitely taken, you know, they, they've taken their time and they've taken, you know, a little bit from New Jersey, a little bit from Michigan, you know, they, they, they've taken bits and pieces of everything. I'm curious to see how the, the hodgepodge of it all works out. Yep. All right. Uh, we're going to stick with baseball betting related topics for our second story this week. Uh, game five of the World Series is tonight, and uh, we don't need to talk about what happened in game four. Uh, I'll, I'll just note that it's tied 2-2 between the Phillies and Astros and move on. Uh, the big story in the gambling industry is the liability several online sportsbooks are facing if the Astros pull this out. Thanks to the massive wagers they allowed Jim Mattress Mac Mackingvale to make during the season, Make no mistake, this isn't truly gambling. Mattress Mac bets as a hedge against his furniture store promotions. But for the sports books, 
the result matters a lot. Uh, Max spread around $10 million worth of bets to win $75 million, roughly, uh, getting his hometown team at various prices at various points in the season. If the Astros win, Caesars will have to pay him $30 million, WinBet will owe him $12 million, and BetMGM will be paying him $10 million. But perhaps the most interesting payout is the $5 million Betfred would owe him, as Betfred is one of the smaller U.S. books, uh, though they do have a large international presence. Of course, if the Phillies win, these sports books all have themselves great revenue months. Uh, so, Jeff, uh, as you may have detected, I'm finding myself empathizing with the sports books position more than the betters, which is not the typical viewpoint. And I honestly don't think it has anything to do with the fact that I'm rooting for the Phillies. Are you in the same boat? Uh, and, and how much does the mattress max stuff interest you at this point? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm not in the same boat. I, I don't empathize with the sports books. I, okay. You know, they they took the action, and so yeah. I mean, if they get burned on this, and if their bottom line suffers because of it, well, you know, that that's their own stupid fault. Especially considering these are the same books that you know will limit quote unquote sharp betters, and the right. quote unquote is a key element here. <laughs> Because, you know, you didn't, uh, you know, BetMGM, you said, is on the hook paying them $10 million. I right. have never, I have never placed a bet. Well, I shouldn't say that. The most I've ever bet on MGM, okay, mm-hmm. is probably in the low, very low four figures. And the only reason I would have bet in the very low four figures was uh, in an arbitrage thing or, you know, okay. uh, you know, you know, trying to burn through, a, a, you know, money from another site and, you know, playing both sides, right? Right. So I'm not... And and I, I I do keep track of like my bets like by Good. operator, mm-hmm. and I'm up maybe a few hundred dollars overall in my lifetime at BetMGM. I cannot get down more than like sixteen, eighteen, twenty dollars on a on a side at wow. BetMGM at this point. Okay, I am the furthest thing from a sharp. Okay, I have been limited. I've been limited at points bet. Right, same same story. If I'm getting limited. Can you imagine like what's actually happened to a lot of these sharp bettors out there? So for these companies, and it, it is aggravating, right? You know, I want to get like some futures down. I, you know, I want to bet on the Carolina Panthers to win the NFC West before this game last week. It was, I think, plus twelve hundred at BetMGM. So I, or the, I, or the, the NFC South, I guess it was the be. NFC South. Yeah, yeah. If you're so betting I, on them to win the NFC West, uh, I don't, I don't I, think you have much of a chance. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, I put down $20. I was limited to $2.52, right? <laughs> so this, the, you know, this behavior, you know, I've written about this before. It's very aggravating. I understand the position of the sports books where, you know, they don't want to, they're not in the business of giving free money away and they, you know, they're going to limit sharp betters. But when they're doing things like this to quote unquote sharp betters, I, I can't work up any empathy for them when they're taking these multi-million dollar bets from someone they perceive, I guess, is an easy mark. Yeah, that, and see, that's a, I lose track of that sort of stuff because I'm so unsharp, so dull, if you will, uh, that I've never I been limit. I've never been <laughs> limited, um, except uh, in the case of uh, one of the one of the promotions once where they were basically giving out free money on a can't lose bet, and it supposedly was supposed to let you bet fifty bucks, but it only let me bet ten. Um, but other than that, I've never had to deal with the limiting, um, so I kind of lose sight of it. And I, I suppose if I'd been through it enough. Uh, personally, I might have fallen in the same category as you of, of being incapable of uh, feeling any empathy toward the books. Um, in terms of these Mattress Mac things, I, I'm generally disinterested in whatever's going on with him at this point. It was a, a big story a few years ago and it's kind of played out, but there is enough money and a unique enough situation in this particular case that that I do think it's worth following, but um, 
again, I certainly don't care from Mac's perspective. I'm, I'm more just interested from the industry's perspective. Uh, the Betfred thing, they, they say they can absorb this, and I'm sure they can, uh, but they certainly don't want to. I figure every better who doesn't have money on the Astros should be rooting for the Phillies because a Phillies win means happy sports books offering more boosts and promos and freebies and an Astros win means that they tighten up on all that stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's, um, you know, putting too much stock in a single result, but uh, it, it does seem to me when the sports books are doing well, they look for ways to give a little of that back temporarily to, to the betters. Speaking of promos and games you don't want to talk about, uh, Dave Purdom at ESPN just tweeted a few minutes ago that uh, the DraftKings in Pennsylvania was offering a uh, you know a boost last night where the combination you got to be over nineteen and a half Sixers three pointers and Phillies hits. Okay. The Sixers hit nineteen three pointers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So clearly what's happening here is that uh, it was fixed. It was, it was rigged. Fixed. The Phillies were on the take. The fix was in. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, let's go in a totally different direction with our third story uh, from something that I understand and am passionate about, baseball betting, to something I can barely begin to wrap my mind around, esports betting. Uh, you wrote for NJOnlineGambling.com on Monday, Jeff, uh, about the first legal esports betting site in New Jersey to shut down. Uh, Vi, I assume that's how they pronounce their name, uh, which uh, just started taking bets in New Jersey in April. Vi, which operates under the esports entertainment group umbrella, also shut down in the other countries where it was active, Spain and the UK. And apparently there just wasn't much interest in esports betting in New Jersey, and Vi didn't have the patience to let it gather momentum. Meanwhile, our colleague Bennett Conlon wrote for US Bets about how recent research by the payments technology company Nuve showed mixed thoughts from esports companies about how integral sports betting is to their business. Uh, 77% of respondents to Nuve's survey said betting is of at least moderate importance to them, but only 34% took it to the next level and said it's of significant importance. Jeff, any surprises for you in either of these news items regarding esports betting? And are you any less DGAF than I am when it comes to esports? Uh, yeah, esports is not my bag. I, although I did play a lot of esports DFS during the COVID lockdown. <laughs> okay. A lot of legal. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> right. like, really, no idea. Just, but just mashing buttons. A little bit. I mean, I did do some research. You know, I found some people online who, like, you know, would give like some, you know, breakdowns and stuff. But I, you know, so I would, I was playing, I guess, League of Legends, and okay. I was watching some of the live feeds of it. And I mean, you, you, you might as well just, you know, I, I mean, I can't. You, you know, remember like the uh, the electric football game, you know, <laughs> the the vibrating table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh -huh. I might as well have been watching that for all I knew of what was going on. It was people <laughs> going in all different directions. I had no idea what was happening. Uh, I won a few times though, so that was good. Uh, but yeah, as far as esports and betting goes, listen, I, I it's 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 out of my realm, right? Uh, you you hear that it's going to be something big, hmm. but like it hasn't, it certainly hasn't caught on yet. Uh, and what's kind of worrisome to me is that I teach college classes. I'm teaching a sports betting media class right now. I, I have a 13-year-old son. I just don't hear a lot about it. You follow what I'm saying? Right. I, I just don't hear a lot about esports. I hear a lot about sports betting. I, I do hear about that. But I don't hear a lot about esports betting from, you know, from this generation. Again, it just might be, you know, this is obviously like highly anecdotal evidence. But right. I, I, I'm not 
internal. I think will it be like a niche thing going forward? I I mean obviously, but I don't think I, I have a hard time believing it's ever going to like get, you know be on you know anywhere near the same level as like even like you know cornhole. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. It can only dream of getting as big as cornhole, huh? Um, yeah, I mean, based on your your that's a, you know obviously very small sample size uh, situation, but uh, yeah, it does seem like I get the feel that it it is more niche than the people who are pushing out the narrative of esports is the next big thing would like us to believe. Um, when I was in one of my various stints as editor of All In magazine, um, I think this was in like 2014, 2015, the bosses had us branching out to cover more than just poker, which was what the mag- magazine originally was. And the first frontier there was DFS. We started devoting about 10% of the magazine to DFS in that time. And then the next thing was esports, that we got the edict we needed to start covering esports. Um, not esports betting yet, but just esports, writing about League of Legends and covering these tournaments and so forth. And I just could not get myself to care. Um, I played video games as a kid, you know, and then I continued playing Madden and NHLPA through college. And then that was it. I I was done with video games after that. Now, you know, just because I don't care about something doesn't mean I should ignore it. It's obviously very popular. And so I should be making an effort to stay informed on what's happening with with esports and esports betting. Although, I guess this information, these news items this week, it's telling us it's a long shot that esports betting is going to be a major facet of the legal U.S. gambling industry. It's a minor one at best for now. Um, on the one hand, I'm a little surprised that this company, Vi, would fold this quickly, but sounds like it's a financial thing. These companies don't have a lot of wiggle room right now in terms of showing profitability, and I guess esports betting would be a particularly long game to have to play. So, I don't know. That's about all I have to say about esports betting. And with any luck, we'll have no reason to have to cover it again on the podcast <laughs> for at least another six months. But, yeah, I, I wish all the gamers well. I'm, I'm not looking to uh, yuck their yum, as the saying goes. I just I find it less enjoyable to cover than just about anything else that we cover. I also find you saying yuck their yum is unenjoyable as well. <laughs> You're yucking the yum that is me saying yuck their yum? Yeah, I, I think I just did. Wow, that that got really meta really fast. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. If you've ever been creeped out by the way your computer or phone seems to know what you're thinking and what you're going to search for next, you're probably not going to enjoy this week's interview. But whether you like it or not, observing, analyzing, and predicting player behavior is key to being on the cutting edge of the gaming industry. And we welcome now Lee Nissum, the CEO of Future Anthem, an AI company that works with operators to do just that. They're a British company, but they recently closed a Series A funding round and are coming to America as well. So we welcome Future Anthem to our country, and we welcome Lee to our podcast. Lee, thanks for joining us on Gamble On. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me uh, to this podcast. Um, so Jeff and I are writers. We're podcasters. We're not tech guys, and most of this AI stuff goes over our heads. So in something resembling layman's terms, can you explain how Future Anthem gathers data, what sort of data it gathers, and perhaps most importantly, what what behaviors the two of us need to curb as gamblers to avoid ending up on some <laughs> sort of internet gaming watch list? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's not as Big Brother as you kind of have um, outlaid there. It's it's rather more innocent uh, than maybe your introduction was suggesting. Okay. Uh, and and the way and it's very intentional. You know, the way uh, that we operate and how we establish future anthem was all around how you can use the technology, the AI for good uh, to improve player experiences. Uh-huh. Um, and how they, uh, you know, engage with with the gambling sites. Um, so all the data we take is anonymized for starters. So we don't know who the consumer is at all ever. Um, we have an ID, a player ID. Uh, it's not the one they give. It's kind of a hashed number. Um, and uh, from that, uh, we're given also the bets that a consumer has made uh, when they're betting. And so from that, we can build behavioral profiles. So we start to understand how players behave when they're gambling. Uh, and that affords us a number of opportunities to uh, recommend the right kind of content. So which kind of bets they might like or games they might like, uh, what promotions they might like. Also, really importantly, uh, we are seeing how they behave from a problem gambling perspective. Mm. So understanding for a customer kind of indicates uh, signs of risk. And and therefore shouldn't be part of promotions and shouldn't be shown certain content, should be shown different messages. Um, so really, uh, like I say, it's all around betterment and improving player experiences when people gamble online because you know, it can be quite a daunting experience. You come onto the site first time, there's lots of options. These games all look very, you know, you know, kind of happy and shiny towards you, but some, you know, have kind of more aggressive play profile than others and some are softer and better for new players and, and, and all those good things. So yeah, never take any personal information from, from customers, um, always anonymous uh, kind of bets or purchases you might like to think about them. So very similar style to most e-commerce businesses out there that are just recommending to you the thing that they think you would enjoy most uh, to engage with. Okay. Good to know. So let's say, uh, like, from a sports betting perspective, I am like, you know, the 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 most loved kind of consumer by the sports books. I like playing uh, playing long shot parlays, right? Put a few bucks down, hope to win a lot of money. Never do. Uh, I'm just curious, like, so if 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 I'm if you're you know if your company's seeing me place these parlays one after another, what will I start seeing? I guess as a result, uh, if what you guys are doing yeah. is working, yeah. Um, I mean, um, it, 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 two, two th- way I think about it is kind of two levels. Uh, one is you might see nothing, right? In the sense of if you're betting in a particular way, um, you know, you have your favorite bets. Um, you know, what we might do is make it quicker for you to get there. You know, so, so for example, when I bet my favorite bet still on one of the UK's largest betting sites, it's like nine clicks to get there, which is insane. Uh, how it doesn't remember that I bet on the same things every week and just doesn't give it to me as a default is beyond me, right? So I feel like, you know, there's a very simple uh, journey uh, improvement that can come from personalization, but fundamentally it's nothing different. Um, and, you know, also where we work, and, and these are some of the kind of more innovative areas in the industry and even what we're doing um, is we're really taking account of experience, um, so if you do do parlays all the time, but you know, if you've lost one leg and you've had a bad beat, then, you know, we would, we would suggest that the betting company recognizes that and maybe recompenses you for that. So it gives you kind of a, a retention award 
for saying, hey, sorry, you missed out on that one leg. You did so well elsewhere. We're going to give you, you know, some 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 free bets or some credits. So um, we're we're very focused on experiences, which is an often missed part of the industry. So what has an actual consumer had in terms of value back from their bets? Um, and uh, again, just trying to give the customer a better experience. In my opinion, not much different from when you go to a restaurant. You go to a restaurant, you have an amazing meal, you love your starter, you love your main, the dessert's not that great. And they ask you for feedback, you say, dessert's not great. And they say, okay, well, when you come back next time, the dessert's on us, sir. You know, so no reason why betting and gambling companies don't think in the same way uh, based on experience. So um, again, just to repeat, like as is very experiential personalization as well as uh, smoothing the journey uh, into the product you like. And if we think it's applicable and if, you know, our models suggest it might be you like, might like to bet on an adjacent sport based on an event that's coming up that you might not otherwise be aware of. So we'll make that recommendation. But as you can see in here, the whole thing is designed to you know, improve your experience when you're, when you're gambling. And so you, you, you mentioned uh, while answering the first question, you dropped the term problem gambling or responsible gambling in there. And, and when I was trading emails with your chief marketing officer, Mitchell Feldman, several weeks back, he mentioned that as well, that the responsible gambling is, is your piece de resistance. Break that down for us. Is that one of your major draws to operators, the way that behavioral analysis can help spot a problem gambler? Yeah. Um, so... As a business born in the UK, um, you know, we're kind of at the forefront of online gambling regulations. And when starting the business, we knew we couldn't just be an engine that is designed to create commercial value. And actually, this, this, this concept of player experience is just so fundamentally important and in line with uh, the latest online regulations. So our responsible gambling models were some of the first we ever built because um, they work in, in the heart of all of our recommendation systems. So if we are going to recommend a bet um, or a promotion, we might not recommend that to you, for example, if you have a high risk score. So we would exclude you or recommend you're excluded from certain promotions or all promotions based on your gameplay and, and your betting behaviors and your, and your patterns. So I think it is a key differentiator for us. I'm not sure it's a PS de resistance, but it's definitely a differentiator that in all our recommendation models, they're fed by uh, also safer play algorithms that essentially try and detect changes in behaviors. So if your intensity goes up or your frequency goes up, we're looking for changes in behaviors. Uh, and these are things through the research that suggest a player may go on to have a problem gambling habit so um in in 70 percent of cases we find players earlier than most traditional systems because we're right in the bet um and we also work in, work in real time which is another thing which we should talk about a little bit more um but essentially we see responsible gambling as part of the overall experience ecosystem uh and also in our view, responsible gambling is a commercial conversation. It's not just a compliance conversation because as soon as a player moves into the risk zone, they're four times more likely to leave you. So it's not in your interest that they move into this risk zone. It's in your interest to keep them in the safe zone when typically from the analysis that we look at, when 95% of consumers gamble, it's in sustainability. They repeat the same patterns all the time. So that consistency is good. It's when you see the departure from the consistency that problems start to, or risk starts to grow. Uh, and not everyone's a problem gambler, but you know, they might show early signs of risk. And that's why communicating to them to bring them back into this safe zone is so important when they're in that, in that middle intersection. So 
just to come back up, um, for us, it's not something separate. It's something as part of that experiential and sustainable orientation towards thinking about gambling and how customers can have a good and positive gambling experience and an entertaining experience rather than one that is, uh, you know, kind of unfavorable and uh, risky for them and, and negative. I'm curious for your perspective, you know, having been being in the UK where this has been legal much longer. I'm curious uh, how you feel about how the US is doing so far on responsible gambling. Just, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are still early days of, of legal online gambling here. Does it seem to you the US industry is doing enough to to address it? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of call it out as enough or not enough. Um, I think everywhere the industry can always do uh, more. But I also think the industry is called out unfairly for not doing enough. Uh, when I see what uh, operator customers are doing it's substantial amounts of activity, complicated e-commerce systems, multinational, multi-currency. And, you know, it really is a priority for, you know, the significant majority of online businesses, certainly ones we come across in the regulated ones. And it's not just the US, right? You know, there's other jurisdictions as well that have got different kind of outlook to regulation than the UK. So why I think about it more so is that different countries are on different stages of their evolution in online gambling the uk is probably in about 17th year in true earnest maybe 20th year so it's got 20 years of maturity in this area Uh, the u.s industry is what maybe a tad under three years old of order so i I fully expect it to go on a similar trajectory but just it takes time for the systems and the regulations and the legislation to catch up Um, but very definitely the industry overall we think can do uh, a kind of a better job at linking risk to sustainability and commercial viability because you want customers to have a good experience when they're with you. And that includes having a safer experience. So we think the conversation is going to move on a bit in, along the lines of sustainability and experience, but very definitely um, you know, the industry does a lot in responsible gambling and it differs by market for sure. But like I say, I think that's a bit more around maturity than it is around intent or, or, or whatever else it might be. You know, you had mentioned real time. So if let's say I'm playing uh, slots or, you know, blackjack or something and I'm, you know, betting a dollar a hand or five dollars a hand and then I'm losing and I start betting ten dollars a hand, twenty dollars a hand, you know, five dollars a spin. Is, is that going to like be triggering stuff like automatically? Yes. On your end? Yes. And uh, you'll and be what, surprised. What would I, would you, I see anything on my end? You should do. Uh, so you'll be surprised at how few uh, operators in the industry uh, can uh, work and manage risk in real time, um, which is one of the areas of, of uh, improvement that we think needs to happen. And certainly the, the regulators are pushing in that direction so that, you know, the, the system's taking action in real time to um, either prevent or guide um, things like loss chasing. Um, so, you know, give you a prompt, a message, maybe even a pause. Um, you know, there's no reason in our opinion why th- that experience can't be personalized and, you know, the game or the system react to your your patterns uh, exactly that and uh, that i think is generally the next phase of where the industry is going to be going with, with with its lean towards responsible gambling do you find that the operators in europe are more keen to that than the operators potentially here in america being that it's still like such a land grab here um i'm not sure i'd use the word keen um it's it, like i say i think it's still factor of maturity so a lot of the European operators have been dealing in this realm for 
almost 10 years. Uh, they've also been the subject of millions of pounds and dollars worth of fines. So they've been hit hard uh, with warnings. So again, they've had to really uh, sharpen their approach and perspective and invest significantly in this area. Um, so I just think it's, again, comes back down to this maturity. The systems will be a bit more mature. Their personnel will be a bit more experienced in this area. Uh, so uh, I just think it's it's just a fact of how these different uh, you know markets have grown up. And so if you're running your own platform, you're new, newer to market, you might not have as much maturity in this area as you as you might do if you're you know kind of a European operator operating stateside. So I can't comment for each operator individually, but uh, it just comes back down to you know years worth of systems and 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 processes and the hard yards as it might be in front of the regulators i mean don't forget these companies go through annual audits uh, maybe more regularly than that in the audits you know there's a bunch of improvement opportunities that presented there's probably guidance that's published three or four times a year about the latest things that operators should be implementing i mean you know this is high high level stuff and when i consider again like around other kind of uh, channels uh, online and the lack of regulation you know, I put gambling up there right high on the list of what it does to protect its customers and, and, and make sure people don't problem gamble compared to some of the other industries where, you know, it's much easier for a miner to access inappropriate content or purchase something or whatever it might be. So, like I say, I'm a big advocate for how much the industry is doing. For sure, it can do more always. But uh, I think we come in for a bit of a rough deal compared to, 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 to some others out there. All right, Lee. Well, I, I apologize for uh, starting the interview with uh, a bit of big brother fear mongering that it seems perhaps uh, mischaracterized uh, what Future Anthem does. Uh, but this was this was really informative. Where can listeners go to, to learn more about uh, what the company does? Yeah, so uh, futureanthem.com. Um, we publish uh, our, our white papers regularly on research uh, into different mechanics around games, responsible gambling, player experiences, all sorts of stuff. We also run a program called Tune Into Data uh, that we're going to be uh, spending some more, more time on and exactly how you use data in the industry uh, to you know, improve uh, how the how everything runs and operates. Uh, and then our LinkedIn is probably one of the best areas to keep up to date with everything that we do. We, we, we make sure everything's there and we're visible. There's quite a lot of videos and all those good things. And maybe just the final word, we're a young business. Uh, we're making good progress. We're really keen. So if ever you want to reach out to me directly as a chief exec around starting a business and growing one in the sector or some of the things we've spoken about or you're in your personalization journey, then please uh, get in contact. I'm lee.nissim at futureanthem.com and welcome a conversation with uh, anyone in the sector. Oh, very cool. That was that was a first, I think, on the podcast, a, a CEO offering his email address direct to the <laughs> listeners. So Go um, for it. <laughs> good luck with everything. And, and thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank no you. problem. Thank you very much for inviting me. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. In that little bumper you just heard that plays every episode, two men, $10,000. One of the men has changed, but the bankroll in play remains the same. Jeff and I will pick up where John and I left off. 
trying to get back to even after four plus years of being precisely the kind of slow and steady losers the sports books love. We did have some good results on the bets we made on our last episode uh, two weeks ago. John went out on a high note. He won $100 with Oklahoma State plus six and a half. And on golf, though he lost $20 on Jordan Spieth to win the tournament, he won $100 betting on Tom Kim to finish in the top 20. Meanwhile, I dabbled in CFL betting and won $100 on the BC Lions to cover his seven-point favorites. And I had a nice hit on the Seahawks money line against the Chargers. They were plus 260, so I bet $50 and won 130. Unfortunately, I gave some of that back with my bet on Anderson Silva to beat Jake Paul. That's what I get for betting on Jake Paul fights. Uh, We lost $100 there. So for the week, we won $310, leaving us down by a nice round $2,500. We still have $980 on hold in futures bets, much of which is looking highly promising, uh, but we'll address those as they get graded. For now, we're left with $6,520 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first, and I'm starting with two boxing bets that do not involve Jake Paul. Uh, I'll find out right off the bat here if you have the same reaction John always did to me bringing up women's boxing. He wasn't very open-minded about a woman's right to make money punching and getting punched by other women. Uh, Let's see if you utter similar groans of disgust. So far, all I've heard is one light snicker. So uh, no no groans of disgust? No. I mean, yeah, if women want to beat the crap out of each other, who am I to say no? Good. No, I, I like your I mean, attitude. Right. No, but for real. Like, yeah. I'm not even joking. Like, you know, if women boxing is a real thing. Absolutely. Women's MMA is a real thing. And, like, mm-hmm. why, why shouldn't women have the opportunity to ply their trade? All right. Very progressive. And also just very... Very not stuck in a pre-progressive era. Anyway, um, in a, uh, what we have here is a big 140-pound fight between two of the top female boxers. Uh, Jessica McCaskill is as high as a plus-136 underdog against Chantel Cameron. To me, it's a coin flip fight. Uh, if anything, I might slightly favor McCaskill, uh, but I think the odds makers see that Cameron is undefeated and McCaskill has two losses to her name and they're failing to recognize how good McCaskill is. So let's throw down 50 bucks on her to win 68 And then on the men's side, almost the exact same betting situation. Andre Durrell is a small underdog against Unieski Gonzalez. He's plus 130. And I tend to slightly favor Durrell in this fight. He's long in the tooth, but so is Gonzalez. And at least Durrell was an elite talent in his prime. Gonzalez was never anything special. And he's almost as old as Durrell anyway, 37 versus 39. So it's another $50 bet. This one to win 65. Uh, if one of my underdogs win, we score a small profit. If they both win, we score a handsome profit. Yeah, I'm coming in hot, dude. I, okay. I, I'm not. I'm not screwing around with these little these little things. I I, I want to play a. Uh, <laughs> you're you're, you're gonna put the whole. You're gonna put the whole bankroll at risk in your no, first. No, 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 no. I'm not okay. putting the whole bankroll at risk. But I, but I, you know, listen. I, I can't abide having a, a bankroll that's down twenty five hundred dollars. That's 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 not how I operate. So I. <laughs> okay. I I got to do a couple of quick hits over the next few weeks to, to get this to get us back to you know even Steven here. <laughs> okay. I want to do a three team money line parlay okay. this week in NFL all underdogs. You ready? Uh huh. The Lions plus one fifty five over the Packers. The Falcons plus one thirty over the Chargers. Seahawks plus one ten over the Cardinals. All told, plus eleven eighty five. Okay. Hundred bucks to win. I guess that would be uh one thousand one hundred eighty five. Huh. Yeah. Boy, that that would well. First of all, I'll say that I I expect the Seahawks to win, even though they're priced as underdogs. And I was thinking the Falcons look like good money. The the, who did who are the Lions playing again? You said the Packers. The Packers. That's that that one is probably the one I feel least confident in of the three. But yeah, hey, worth a shot. 
Well, when we get to our new feature later in the show, I'll explain why I like the Lions so much. Okay. All right. Uh, so for my next bet, um, unders are no less fun to bet than overs if you're not planning to watch the game. And uh, that's the case for me with Bills versus Jets on Sunday. Bills games this season, six of seven have gone under. Uh, Jets, it's not as emphatic, but five of eight have gone under. And the line here isn't terribly low. Like if it was like 44, maybe it would be a stay away. But I'm seeing it ranging from 46 and a half to 47 and a half. Obviously, we'll take that higher number. Um, I'm not sure how the Jets would put up many points against this Bills defense. And the Jets have a decent defense themselves. I wouldn't expect Josh Allen to go totally ham on them. This feels like a 28-13 kind of game. I wouldn't even be shocked if it's lower, if it's like 20-10. to 10. Uh, So let's bet under 47.5 points, $110 to win 100. I won't watch. I'll just uh, check the scoreboard and hope the defenses play well. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. For my, for my second bet, and it's going to be my last one for you this week, I want mm-hmm. – now, it's not up yet. Uh, so I, we, you know, we're gonna have to like, you know, circle back next week to, to find the, the right number, but I want to put a hundred dollars down on Kenneth Walker, the third to lead the, uh, Sunday only slate in rushing yards. Uh, they're going up against the Cardinals Seahawks. I like the Seahawks in the game. Cardinals pass defense is, is really playing well this year, uh, overall. And I think the Seahawks, you know, Walker has the ability to break a run at any given time. If you've seen him play it all this year, if you saw him play at Michigan state last year, the guy is, uh, I saw, heard somebody say, I forget who it was. I wish I noted this. The, the single most slippery runner they've ever seen. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to bet Kenneth Walker to lead in rushing yards every week going <laughs> forward for the rest of the year. Okay. Uh, I had him two weeks ago when he did it. Right. And I'm doing it again. I expect, you know, the odds aren't up yet. I, I, Based on the last few weeks, I expect it to be around no worse than like plus 1,000, probably even closer, like plus 1,200, plus 1,300. Okay. I want, let's put, uh, we'll put 50 on it. And that, and that's strictly for the Sunday slate. slate. Just, he just yeah, has to have the most on Sunday. That's correct. Okay. And does that does that include the Sunday night game? It does, that ha- it does, it does include the Sunday okay, night. Okay. So any games on Sunday, he has to have the most yards. All right. Uh, you you have a, a, a very different approach to uh, bankroll management than uh, John and I had exhibited all, all these years. So, uh, But if you hit one of these, we're, we're in great shape. And uh, if you don't, you know, I get to uh, chastise you for running through all of our fake money. Uh, and and uh, we, we're going to have to ask Adam Small for more fake money like two months from now. If, uh, no, if, if you, you get won't. Crazy. I'm, I, will, I, I will hit one of these parlays before the season's over. And right. at worst, we'll, I'll, I'll be breaking even on it. But if I hit two or three, then, you know, you'll be bowing down to me. All right. I like I like the confidence. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're getting toward the end of the show. And uh, sad news. The Fast Five is no more. It just didn't make sense to pick it up mid-season, and it was fairly played out anyway after four years of doing it. Plus, I was having a solid season. I was uh, 19, 15, and 1, so now I get to quit midstream without risking falling under 500. Um, So in its place, we are introducing a new segment. Massive credit to our colleague Brett Smiley for naming this. It is the most perfect name imaginable for two middle-aged Jewish dudes giving out picks. Welcome to... Bagels and Locks. That's L-O-C-K-S, not L-O-X, although our Gentile audience members might not even know what L-O-X Locks <laughs> is. In any case, uh, instead of picking five games against the spread, we're just picking one apiece. 
our absolute favorite NFL spread bets, our locks, and we'll keep track of our records on these. Uh, Hopefully we'll uh, both do better than uh, you do, Jeff, on your uh, stone cold locks in your sports handle NFL Mm, column. It's been a rough year there. there. Um, So Jeff, it's a new segment. New guy goes first. Those are the rules. Uh, What's your bagels and locks lock? All right. I'm going with the lions getting three and a half points at home against the Packers. Uh, so the, 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 my theory here, you know, th- this is basically a pure narrative play, right? Well, first of all, we know that the Lions can punch back, right? We mm-hmm. know that the Lions can put points up. The Packers have struggled to put points up this year. So, like, let, right off the bat, I'm not entirely confident that the Packers are even necessarily a better team. You right. know, certainly on the offensive side of the ball. Defensive side, obviously, the Packers are a better team. But here, here's here's the my chief narrative. I, the, the Lions team, you know, the players seem to really love their coaches. You saw it on Hard Knocks. You even you see it playing out through the through the year already, right? Yeah, they they are one and six, but they are they are probably the players are playing for their coaches' jobs at this point. So they they have that going for them. On the other side of the ball, Aaron Rodgers is throwing his teammates under the bus. Aaron Rodgers looks like he'd probably rather be anywhere on earth other than a football field. Right. I, I I just don't think that like I I I think what the Lions are playing for is going to trump you know, what Aaron Rodgers is playing for. And I know this is narrative. I know we should never bet like this, but like, I, I, I cannot see, I think the Lions win this outright as I, you know, put in the parlay, but I for getting three and a half points at home all day long. So I like the plus three and a half because, and you're on the right side of the hook, obviously, and all that. It's the, I'm nervous on the money line perspective because these Lions under Dan Campbell just seem to find a way to lose winnable games. Um, but nevertheless, your your um, your reasoning makes sense. So, all right, that's your that's your lock of the week. And um, I'm torn between two that are, that are really jumping out at me. Um, one of them is similar to yours in that it's a a plus three and a half at home. It just feels maybe a little too obvious. It's the commanders um, uh, on the right side of the hook against the Vikings without Wentz with Heineke. Instead, Washington is a decent team and uh, Minnesota. Come on. They're, they're an unconvincing six and one. They've been running hot in close games. There's a good chance that ends here, but it just feels a little too obvious. Like why wouldn't I take Washington getting three and a half at home? It, It just feels like something's wrong there. So I'm going to go slightly less obvious, but uh, only slightly. Uh, I'm going with my lock of the week, the Titans getting 12 and a half in Kansas City. The Titans have had the Chiefs number in recent years. The gap between these teams isn't that wide. If Tannehill plays, this line should be like seven and a half in my mind. And if it's Malik Willis, I still think we're getting a, a, at least a point or two of value at 12 and a half. So that's my lock. Uh, Titans plus 12 and a half. And, uh, you're damn right. I threw down a little money on them in real life at plus 480 on the money line. Mm. Yeah, I'd have a hard time seeing the Titans win in, in Kansas City. But listen, any given Sunday, pal, that's what they that's do. That's right. Yes. Uh, all right. And we finish with another brand new mini segment. Uh, this one doesn't have a name, uh, but uh, maybe we'll come up with one uh, over the next few weeks. Uh, Jeff, you have a passion for DFS. Um, plus, because you edited Adam Levitan's book, you qualify as an expert. So uh, <laughs> every week you're going to go ahead and isolate something on the NFL DFS slate that has your eye. So take it away with some DFS talk. Yeah, I mean, if you've been playing, you know, I'm a GPP player, you know, big, big tournaments. And, uh, you know, it's it's been like 
you know, on, on DraftKings, it's just been, you know, chalk after chalk after chalk has been hitting. Uh, and, you know, and it's funny you mentioned Levitan. He, you know, in his solo pod this week, you know, he, he brought up a very good point that the chalk's been hitting because the pricing has been, mis- you know, this has just been terrible mispricing right. uh, on DraftKings this year. And, like, he noted that, like, you know, Kamara this week, you know, was kind of chalky in cash games. And, you know, he hit big. And Jacobs, Josh Jacobs, was not as chalky. And he didn't hit. Uh, but if you flip their salaries around and if Jacobs was uh, less expensive than Kamara, which easily could could be the case, mm-hmm. uh, then Chalk wouldn't have hit, you know. And so it, it, a lot of it has to do with pricing. And, and the, 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 you know, I say all this to say it's going to happen again this week. Okay. Uh, there, there's a there's a, a, a threesome at running back. Uh, Kenny Walker, Ramondre Stevenson and Travis Etienne. They're 62 and 6,300, the three of them. Okay. Uh, right below them is Deonta Foreman at six grand. Right above them is Joe Mixon at 6,500. Uh, but those three, I think, are going to, you know, a lot of ownership is going to gravitate there. Um, and, you know, I, they're all mispriced. You know, they should all be at least $7,000, I think. Uh, so I think it's going to gravitate there. I think ETN is in a great spot. I think Walker's in a great spot. And I think Stevenson. I, the jury's still out on how great a spot it is, you know, because we're, we're still not entirely clear what happens uh, if the Patriots, you know, dominate the game from start to finish, as they very well might do at home against the Colts. But I think if you're playing GPPs this week, I think you have once again have to be smart with the chalk. Uh, and by being smart with it, I guess you got to say don't play it. Um, you know, there's paths to failure, obviously, for all three of these backs. But I, I do think that the you know heavy ownership is going to come in there. I think you know if you're looking to go go off that chalk, I think Mixon at 6,500 is going to be underowned. You know, he's also underperformed all year, so you know who knows. And then uh, you know you could go all the way to the top with Eckler at 8,800. Um, I think he'll be kind of heavily owned, but you know probably not as much as those three guys that I mentioned. Right. So you know, again, another week for chalk. You know, and also on the wide receiver side, DJ Moore is too cheap. You right. know, DraftKings has not done a great job this year with pricing. It, it's leaving it. You know, you know, people who are complaining about the chalk hitting week in week out, they might be complaining again after this week. But you know, if you want to like win these GPPs, I think you still have to continue trying your best to, to get away from, you know, the most obvious chalk and, you know, you got to differentiate different, uh, uh, just Elmer footed that you gotta, you know, you gotta make sure that your lineups are different in other spots. If you, if you are going to play the chalk. Right. Well, I am, uh, very happy with the way the chalk has been hitting because I'm playing DFS totally differently this year than I have, uh, in recent years. Now, regardless of year, one thing that's consistent about my DFS play is I play, very few lineups for very small stakes, and uh, it, it would, doesn't move the needle for anyone. It's just something fun for me to do. Typically in past years, I would make like seven $3 GPP lineups a week and hope to have some kind of fun sweat. This year, the first two weeks, my GPP lineups were, were all whiffing, and in the second week, I decided, ah, what the hell? I'm kind of feeling like I know what the, the optimal cash lineup is this week. I'm just going to make one and throw it in a 50-50, which is kind of pointless like i'm turning five dollars into ten dollars that financially there's no there's nothing really i'm playing for there it's just sort of a testing myself am i better than the average person at this and i've as the season has gone on i've pretty much stopped even bothering to build gpp lineups and i'm just testing myself to see if i do one single entry double up 50 50 lineup each week how do i do 
and I have uh, I am seven and zero this season, cashing wow. my fifty fifty lineups. I've even finished with a higher score than Levitan in four out of seven weeks, although he has a lot more money to show for it. Um, but uh, so so I'm my thoughts this week are purely focused on on what I'm going to do in cash and quarterback is interesting. I haven't put a lot of thought into this yet. I've just sort of given it a cursory glance. I kind of feel like if I can make myself feel comfortable about it, 5,300 for Justin Fields, Fields, that's got to be the cash play. Maybe Heineke at 5,400. I'll wimp out and decide he's a little safer. Um, But, you know, I've been paying up for Josh Allen several times. At 8,500, I don't think I can pay that high up. I'd rather be able to afford to get Austin Eckler into my lineup. Um, but I also just love the game of what's the cheapest defense I can tolerate. That's sure. like a that's like a really fun part of building my cash lineup every week. This week, it's probably either Carolina 2,300 at Cincinnati or Seattle 2,500 at Arizona. And then maybe see if my lineup works out that I can get up to Tampa Bay at 3000 at home against the Rams. But yep. uh, some, somewhere in that range, those are the, the defenses I have my eye on. Jeez, I'll tell you this much. If, if I was playing cash and was 7-0, and there would be like a very real possibility <laughs> that I would have quit every job that I have and just <laughs> become a full-time DFS cash game grinder. Well, uh, your, 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 your ability to not do that is, is, is impressive. Well, it's because I assume that, oh, well, I've been winning five bucks each week. Now, if this is the week that I go ahead and put like jump into the $25 double up instead, I'm going to lose this week. And then all my profits from all the previous weeks are, are, are pretty much gone. Um, but my big my big takeaway from this winning streak is mostly just glancing at other people's lineups while the games are going on and seeing how many people in the $5 double up have no idea how to play cash. I'm just, yeah. I'm up against some lineups that are just, uh, yeah, it's a GPP lineup that's like got a stack in it or they're over overpaying for like a real boomer bust guy that you you should never be playing in cash so there's a lot of that going on uh, so uh, if enough people are dumb i can reap the benefits basically <laughs> all right that'll do it for this episode of gamble on thanks to everybody out there for listening and thanks again to our guest lee nissim you can find me on twitter at eric raskin and jeff at jeff edelstein and follow us bets at us underscore bets go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on megaphone apple Podcasts, spotify or anywhere else and with that jeff uh you take over the parting shot segment uh, you're known to be an opinionated fella capable of a rant from time to time so uh what's on your mind this week all right, you know what's you know what's been on my mind this week? Uh, the fact that I, uh, I I think I'm the first person in 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 gambling history to ever manage to write a story about my colonoscopy uh, and tie it uh, into gambling, uh, which I did for Roto Grinders, which you should check out. Uh, basically, nobody wants to get a colonoscopy, right? You know, I'm you know I was 50, I was due for it for the last few years, right? But I, I kept putting it off because I really you know no who wants to get a colonoscopy? Nobody wants to get a colonoscopy, but I knew I should. And the math told me that I should. You know, I start, you start looking at the math and, you know, like 40% of preventive colonoscopies find a non-cancerous polyp and like 40 out of 10,000 find uh, cancer, right? And so I like I put the math into like the millionaire maker on DraftKings. Right. And basically, like if someone was offering me those odds to play the millionaire maker where like if I got cancer, like that's 800 people like playing the millionaire maker. Or if I got, if I cash, that's, you know, like 40% chance of cashing. I would take those odds all day. The odds, of, you know, the, the odds are with you to, to take the colonoscopy. It's like definitely like the plus EV move. <laughs> yes. And I, and so DFS thinking legitimately like 
has changed the way I think about normal things in life, including this. And, like, I, I ended up getting a colonoscopy, which I recommend to anybody who's over the age of 45. It could save your life, and the drugs they give you are freaking awesome. Best two seconds of my life, without question. And on that note, far be it from me to change anything here. Folks, gamble on.